Um, so beginning of uh, Matthew chapter 10, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and he gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. The names of the 12 were Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions, and we'll come back to that in a little time. This morning is our final message, week 7 on thieves and occupants, and I hope that you've grasped what we've been trying to communicate. Uh, numbers of contributors to the series are here in Arena Church, up at Arena Mansfield tonight. We begin at six o'clock. You're welcome to come. Uh, then we are sort of like three or four weeks behind, uh, not in any wrong sense, but just in terms of how we've arranged it. But we do believe as a, a leadership that this is such a vital, uh, important series that needs to continually be part of the very fabric of what we are in arena and uh, we've uh, we've uh, uh, I like the title I think it's grabbed us and I think uh, it's something that has captured our attention and we say with all humility as well that if you've missed a message please access the podcast it is so easy um, even for um, people like me that are technologically challenged on a regular basis to to access the podcast and uh, the quality of the sound is very good and everything's got just better and better. Remember, we, you know, when, when you used to listen to ministry years ago, you used to have the old cassette tapes. You know, when I used to listen to David Pawson when I was younger at Millmead Centre, you know, I had piles of cassette tapes and then the thing had come out and you had to sort of try and sort of, can you remember sort of trying to get it back in? Well, we've come a long way since then and... Uh, so I encourage you to revisit the podcast and, uh, and oh God will bless you. So we looked at thieves, four things that we want to keep out of the church, religion, rejection, control and offence. They all came against Jesus and we believe it's a revelation that if they came against him then they're bound to seek to come against us and they really do. And we need to be aware, we need to bolt, bolt the door tight to stop any of that coming into the church. And then we looked at discipleship and aspiration through Christian and Josh. And we up the pace by then trying to combine things over the last three weeks. Team and unity, faith and aspiration. And last week, generosity and mercy. And we found ourselves in Matthew 18, the unmerciful servant. And we looked again at that wonderful theme of forgiveness and saw that how it bound together, weaved together generosity and mercy. You'll never be forgiven if you don't live with a generous and merciful heart. And so, in all of this... We're simply trying to freshly define what is Arena Church. In other words, the culture. And recently in one of our Tuesday morning staff meetings, which have proved to be great mornings where we gather together people and uh, we'll sometimes uh, roll out something from ourselves, but other times use some of the great resources that are around. And just recently, uh, there was a very uh, impressive lady, an a, a international business executive, leader and believer in Christ, Carly Fiorina, who spoke on what's it like to be around here. That was her definition of culture. And that is the title of the message this morning. What's it like to be around here, here being Arena Church? And the fact of the matter is that it's important that we answer that question and hopefully we can answer it 
in the positive and the affirmative. You'll know that Christian in one of the messages put up the behaviour statement that one of our young guys has crafted so well. And we'll be in our newly reformed document that we're just in the process of revamping and repurposing on the back of this series. But it's so important because it addresses our responses from our heart without any sense of coercion, but out of our love relationship with God to buy into culture. What is culture? Well, it's emphasis, it's ethos, it's expression. One of the main stories of the news this week has been about FIFA. And uh, when the FBI get involved, you know that things are serious. And somebody said on the news just this week, you see, the problem with FIFA is the culture is all wrong. And so it is. There's a principle there, actually. When leaders forget the reason for why they're leading, they get disconnected from the thing that they are leading, and it always causes problems. And it can happen in churches. It can happen in churches. Must never forget the reason that we're leading and why we're leading. It must always connect to the people that are being led. Always. And there are so many expressions of culture. For instance, your house has a culture, your home. You may not realize it, but it has. And I've told you that for 15 years I worked in financial services and sort of used to call on a lot of houses. Believe you me, there's a lot of cultures out there. Some good, woo, and some bad. Your work organization has a culture, whether it be a huge organization like the NHS that employs tens of thousands of people or a little company of five or six people. When our Miriam was in Australia, she worked part-time for Planet Shakers on staff, and then she worked for a little flooring company, seven people. So I said, oh, she said, oh, it's fantastic. She says, I walked in, and the guy that runs the business just laid the culture in. He says, we don't have a culture of blame in this company. If it goes wrong, then we all have a collective responsibility. That's culture. Start looking to blame the, p- the person that was here first. And she says, it was just a great place to work. Right. Five or six people. Sports teams have a culture. We saw it last night with our guys, a special group of guys, some believers and some not. And uh, the successful teams of whatever expression of sport they are, they always express that out of a great culture. And most definitely, whether you believe it or not, local churches have a culture. They really, really do. They have an ethos, an emphasis, and an expression. And God calls us to relate to what he is doing. Now, let me go back to Matthew 10. And I don't normally read a chunk of scripture on a Sunday. Not because I don't want to, but normally just sort of try and bring it in. But I want to read verses 5 to 16 of Matthew 10. Chris is going to put them up on the screen from the New International Version. And then I'll make a few comments. So on the back of what I've read, Jesus has called these 12 to him. He has, he has began to empower them. Jesus speaks these words. He says, these 12, Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go amongst the Gentiles or enter any, of, any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim the message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those that have leprosy, drive out demons, freely receive, freely give. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey or extra shirts or sandals or staff. Talk about simply living. For the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person. Stay at their house until you leave. And as you enter the house, give it your greeting. 
If the house is deserving, let the peace rest on it. If not, then let the peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that town or home and shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I tell you, it would be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that town. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be shrewd or wise as serpents and harmless or innocent as doves. I don't want to over-egg this. I don't want to be guilty of eisegesis, which means speaking into a scripture something that's not there. Because we believe in exegesis, trying to take out of scripture what is there, and then I'll give it up to us. So I don't want to over-egg it, but it seems to me, in the context of what we're talking about this morning, that Jesus established a culture. He set something out for the guys. Let me give you four things on it. Number one, it was directive. He told them where to go. To seek out the lost sheep of Israel. I'm going to bullet point these because we need to move on to something else. Then it was definitive. It was a message. It was a culture of words and signs. Speaking the gospel of the kingdom and healing the sick and setting the demon, demonized free. Then it was decisive. Go from village to village. If you find a welcome, great. If not, move on. And finally, it was demonstrable. It was externalized. Jesus said that if you carry this, it will be seen, it will be caught, it will be evident. And I suggest that those principles carry weight into any cultural context that expresses the kingdom of God. So what's it like to be around here? Arena Church. What's it like, friends, for us to be defined as we've sought to think about what we keep out and what we let in? Well, let me mention two or three things. Let me re-emphasize again that every church has got a culture. Kevin Gerald said, a great American leader and preacher, that there are two things about this culture. Number one, it can be bad. It can also be good. Whatever it is, it's going to grow. So let's think for a moment about bad culture. It's there by default. It's influenced by numbers of things. It can be influenced by heritage, ancestry, sin, tradition. Don't have time to open any of those up this morning, but you can imagine that some churches are defined by what has been wrong in the church. It's never been addressed. But then culture can be good. It, it doesn't become good by default. It becomes good by design. And here's three ways in which we design culture. Number one, we continue to press into the new of God. Isaiah says, forget the former things. Don't dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? And there are seasons in the life of the church when God does things new. New release, new refreshings, new sense of his word to our hearts. And so many churches, sadly friends, are dominated by the past. That they never are able to, by design, embrace the new. The current. To be a prophetic, nowness church. Not only... The new seasons of God, but also the directive of leaders. God's given apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and, and teachers to the church. And one of the reasons he's given those is to help to bring a direction to the church of God. You've heard us already say in this series that sadly some churches, they are led by good people, but they're not led by gift people. And that's when often culture isn't by design, but by default. Because other people are determining the culture, not the leader. Because not a leader is a good person. But leadership brings direction. That's what it's given there for. 
And you heard Christian, and I'll reference it a bit later, right at the beginning of the year, talking about here to there. And all the cones up. It was like the A52, you know, it was all... Anybody found that it's not easy to go from A to B anywhere nowadays without hitting cones and temporary traffic lights? Woo! We want to get from here to there. Comes out of direction. People praying, thinking, fasting, pondering, plotting, teaching, preaching. Doesn't just happen. And then the response of people. Because the response of people is critical. Because if everybody wants to stay here, we are never going to get to there. But we begin to break things off. We come together in praise and worship. We gather in community. We sense his presence. We break bread. We hear his word. We sense a part of, yeah, I want to be part of this. And we begin to shift in our hearts. And so we're committed to a journey. These things don't just happen. And if we wait for them just to happen, they never will happen. They don't work by default. They work by design. Christian said in one of the messages of this series that some churches have been overrun and ransacked by the thieves. And worse still, they don't even realize it. So true. So true. They've been pillaged by the thieves that are in opposition to the progress of the kingdom of God. And they're turning up every week thinking that things are going to change. And they won't. Unless somebody, by God's grace, begins to do it, not by default, but by design. So what's it like to be around here? Well, a great church culture, number one, defines the presentation of the gospel. It is both intentional and fruitful. There's a lot of talk nowadays for people that read it and leaders that read about what is missional and what is attractional. And uh, some people have set this up. For a holy fight. Because they're passionate about missional. But they want to be passionate about missional. To the detriment of the attractional. The other side of it is. Particularly in a western society such as ours. Where people have bought into being consumerists. They want the attractional. Is the worship okay? Is the band okay? Is the speaker okay? Is the atmosphere okay? Oh we haven't got air conditioning in this church. Better find one that has. You know, and so it goes on, and they never engage with mission. In other words, we're just pandering to people. That's the other extreme. The fact, friends, is that if a church is not a missional church, it's not a church. Because at the end of each of the Gospels, Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the Gospel. So if a church signs off from going, it ceases to have the right and privilege to be defined as a church that Jesus gave himself for. But here's the problem. We can so go down the, the, the rabbit hole of missional to the detriment of retractional that when people come to the church, we then confirm the stereotype of people in Tesco this morning. I say church, you say boring. That's why they're not here. Now, we know it's not boring, and, we t- and if they don't get it, they certainly get it when they walk in the door with that banner. But that is the stereotype. In other words, we want to go, but we want them to have something to come to as well. Atmosphere. See, 
There are cultures around with no atmosphere. You ever been to a house with no atmosphere? Oh. You ever work for a company where there's no atmosphere? Dead. Everything's flat lines. You ever been to a church where there's no atmosphere? More life in a Wilford Hill, you know. <laughs> Nearly said a library, but libraries are so noisy these days. Yeah. They've allowed computers to come in. It's ridiculous. <laughs> but culture defines the presentation of the gospel. <clears throat> and a great culture in a church has always got an eye on those that haven't yet come. So the phrase that the church exists for those that haven't yet come to it is partly true. And we need to listen to it. It's got an eye on those that haven't yet come or those that need to be restored. If every believer that has somehow, for whatever reason, lost their way in following Christ and would be determined as a prodigal this morning, in the M1 corridor, found their way back to God, churches would be filling in amazing ways. And our culture defines that we forever are outward Focused. I've mentioned it before, I mentioned it again. Part of Christian's grace is to keep us outward focused. And we thank him for that. Rob Parsons, the great leader of Care for the Family, wrote a book on the prodigals. And a friend of his gave him an illustration which he used in it. Let me just read it. In a village near where we live, there's a large old house. Every, an elderly lady lives there alone. And every night as darkness falls, she puts a light on in the attic. Her son left home 25 years ago, rather like the prodigal in the parable. But she has never given up hope that one day he will come home. We all know the house well, and although the bulb must occasionally need replacing, none of us have ever seen the house without a light on. It is for a son. I want to encourage us, friends, that culture will determine in Arena Church that we always keep the light on. Number two. Culture defines who is planted. Psalm 92 verses 12 to 13. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. You cannot flourish without being planted. You're trying to bypass a holy principle and it will never ever work. And without hesitation... God's heart is for every Christian believer to find a local church that they can be planted in so that they can flourish. I say it without any sense of hesitation or equivocation, friends. It is the word of the Lord. And I encourage everybody within earshot of me today, be it now live in this message or through recording later, to ask yourself the question, but also to answer it. Am I planted? And I just felt burdened in my heart as I was getting the message ready, because we've had the 30s and unders mentioned this morning, and Francis is not any sort of uh, sideswipe, but in the sense of your generation, it's very fluid. Very here and there, very uh, sort of moving at a pace. 
We need to find a young generation that will know what it is to be planted. To be planted. Because if you want to flourish in ministry, that's the only route in which it's going to work. What happens when people come to church and over a period of time are not planted? They become counterculture. They can do it belligerently. I need to see you, Christian. Or they can do it sort of a little bit behind the scenes. Probably worse sometimes. But they become counterculture. What's it like to be around here? Ooh, not sure. Not sure. Don't know whether I really want to be. And what, what inevitably always ends up is there's a dis, dislocation of relationships. Because sometimes it may, may take a long time, but those people eventually find somewhere else. And I want to encourage us, friends, to realize that God is speaking to our lives in these days, to believe and we fully recognize the kingdom of God, both in this area, in this nation, and in the nations. And we have never said and never will say that we're it. But we believe, friends, that in Arena Church, in this season, in this journey, we've got a contribution to the it. And we need everybody on board with their little bit of the contribution to what God wants to do. And it only happens when we understand that we buy into a culture and we're planted in it. Because the passion of the leadership of this church is that everyone would flourish. And thirdly, uh, culture defines the purpose of the church. Now we understand the purpose of the church is the great commission. The defined purpose of this church in this season is to go and grow and to love and serve our community. And at the beginning of 2015, and we did a little series on it to re-emphasize that we need to stand out and shine. So as I draw the message to a conclusion, what's it like to be around here? Well, if I can briefly, briefly just give a few bullet points that try and summarize what I've tried to communicate. Because culture would define the presentation of the gospel, who is planted, and the purpose of the church. What's it like to be around here? Well, I, I think as I observe it, and I try and observe it as somebody that comes to church, because I don't want to lead a church or be part of a leadership of a church, that if I weren't leading it, I wouldn't come to it. We're trying to lead a church that says, actually, we like coming here as well. You know, we sort of like it. We like the people. We, you know, we like the area. No good me getting them saying, wish I lived in London. <laughs> wish I lived down in, in, in Exeter, like Aaron Richardson, you know, Devon. I like it here. I like the Midlands. And when people sort of think, oh, you know, you live up there. North of Watford, you know. <laughs> and believe you me, they're out there, you know. We like being here. We believe that God wants to do something here, friends. So I just thought about five things that, that I think, for me, just give an insight into what it's like to be around here. Number one, a great welcome. And whatever people say about the church, you know, it's very rare that they can't say that they weren't welcomed. Now, people respond to welcome in different ways. People like a welcome. Don't, don't think that everybody likes a warm welcome. Because they don't. Some people are bringing sin in. They don't want to start opening up to you for, in the first five minutes of the problems and the issues. Some people are bringing hurts from another church, thinking this church is going to hurt them. 
So I don't expect them to start opening up in relationships straight away. Some folks want to come into the back row and go out again. They might want to do that for six months. And then decide, actually, they want to be planted. So there's all sorts of reasons. Some people do want to... Well, they don't want a sloppy wet kiss. Let's not go there. But, but, they, but, but, but they like a warm welcome, you know. But the reality is we're going to give a welcome. Then we need an intuitive gift of how to process that welcome with people. It's called relational intelligence. You can't treat every person the same way. And the fact of the matter is that lots of churches don't give a great welcome because they don't want to grow. I know, I know this, you may not believe this, but I read something this week. Four things why churches don't want to grow. Familiarity, they don't want unfamiliarity. Memories, they don't want those memories um, cr- crossed over. Comfort. And new people coming to church creates discomfort. And power, who's in control? Well, the more people that come to the church, the less you are. And I am, because God's doing something. But in Luke 15, we see expectance from the Father. We see extravagance when he came back. And we see an expression of just absolute overwhelming joy. He threw a party. The son that was lost, he's found. The one that was dead, he's found. That's the heart of a church with a great welcome. And then there's great worship. John 4, 24 says that we ought to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. Another hot potato in the church when people say, all you're bothered about in the church is worship on a Sunday. Could anything be further from the truth? We are bothered about worship on a Sunday because we have a culture of a great atmosphere. But the reality is I was just talking to one of the guys in our church this week and I just saw it afresh. Great how he expressed it. In terms of his work context, he says, I'm very unashamed about being a Christian. Isn't that great? Not in a wrong sense, but I'm just unashamed about being a Christian. So here it is, the arrow is coming on a Sunday. We have this opportunity to meet together. Something's created here that we couldn't create without the joint community. And then the arrows go back out, into the office, into the factory, into the hospital, into driving the lorries and on, whatever it is. And we live out the, the, the thing. Worship is not just defined by songs which we thank God for. Worship is defined by a lifestyle. Great worship. And I'm thrilled, friends, when I think about people during the week in all sorts of contexts that you find, us, if, find yourself, if I may say, places of calling in your work environment where you're living out worship to God. And people are being impacted by the kingdom and they don't even realize it. They don't even realize it. Great words. 2 Timothy 3.16, thirdly, all scripture is God-breathed, inspired of God. And it's profitable for correction, instruction, training and reproof. And uh, the reality is, friends, that it may not be a great word from the platform every week. We do do our best. We have a culture in the church of people seeking to prepare well, whoever's speaking. But sometimes it may not operate, but the fact is we can rest in a great word. Not the preach, but the, the word of God. It is a great word. It's a word that stands for heaven. Ever. And here's one of the cultural tensions we wrestle with in these days. How do we craft a word that is ancient and yet enduring, that spoke 2,000 years ago and yet speaks today into this incredibly fermenting, changing 21st century culture by still being true to the word but being culturally relevant? Massive challenge. Massive challenge. But we believe in a great word, great witness. 
As you heard, Christian, as I've already alluded to at the beginning of the year, call us to stand out and shine, salt and light. A city on a hill that cannot be hid. And just to keep that prophetic ministry strong, we're going to launch a series just for four or five weeks as we get towards the, just as a, up to the main East, uh, uh, summer holidays, called A City on a Hill. And uh, we believe God's going to bless us on that. And then great willingness. Uh, John 13, Jesus knelt down and served the disciples by washing their feet. And he said in verse 17, blessed are you if you do similarly. Not that we literally wash everybody's feet, but we have a great servant attitude. So the culture of in the church is that everyone has an identifiable role in ministry, not enforced or coerced, but from a willing heart, ready to serve by outworking their individual gifts and talents. And I never cease to be awed by the gifts and talents that are across this room. They're incredible. Different things to different people. Thieves and occupants. We ignore the former at our peril. It would have been great just to speak about occupants of the house. But as I said earlier, some churches have been ransacked. And they don't even know it. Thieves, religion, rejection, control, offense, you're at the door. You're at the door. You're not welcome. Because our passion is in building the culture of this church... Jacob's revelation of Genesis 28, that this will be an awesome place, the very gate of heaven. When we see disciples growing and aspiration flowing and team and unity engaging and faith and passion increasing and mercy and generosity deepening, then I think we can answer better the question, what's it like to be around here? And hopefully we'll increasingly come to the place of answering we wouldn't want to be anywhere else. Thank you.